I just made that up, but I think it's more of a swivel than a pivot. I think that's a blog post. I'm just, I'm just about <laughs> it's a, to write. It's a brilliant title. <laughs> Power to Live More with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience. I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean to do the stuff that they want to do more than the stuff that they need to or should do. It's about creating a life for yourself where you have the energy, health and space to be happy and fulfilled, spending your time as you'd like, whether that be at work, home or somewhere else entirely. That's your choice. Hello. My name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joe's interviewing Alan Stevens. Alan and Joe have been connected via social media forever and they can't actually remember how. Then Alan's wife, Heather Waring, was on shows number 56 and 152 and we thought it was time for Alan to join in too. Alan has written a bunch of books about media and speaking. The revised edition of his latest book, The Exceptional Speaker, co-authored with Paul de Troyes, was published in December 2020. He's been appearing frequently on radio and television since 1979. He also set up and ran Witch Online in 1996, which included online social networking features years before Facebook. The independent newspaper lists him as one of the UK's top 10 media experts. Bless them. He lives in East London with his wife, where he enjoys running, rock music and fine food and wine, though not all at the same time. His great-great-great-grandmother's aunt was Mary Shelley, writer of Frankenstein. Oh yes, and his mother and father were ballroom dancing champions of London back in 1946. That's probably enough. Back to the studio! Today I'm interviewing Alan Stevens of mediacoach.co.uk. Welcome Alan, thanks for joining me. Thanks very much indeed, Joe. Pleasure to be here. Lovely. And uh, you're the other half of uh, one of our previous guests, aren't you? Um, Heather Waring, who's been on the show twice. So I just said to you earlier, you're, you're on catch up. You need to come I'm, on again I'm, already. I am running to catch up. Yes, I'm, obviously she is my better half. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I do what I can to keep up. Brilliant. And we were saying in these sort of days of uh, social media that we've been connected for like ever, but... Uh, yeah. Um, still no idea. We've had a dis- discussion about how we knew each other in the first place and we don't, don't know. know. <laughs> <laughs> so start by telling us a bit about who you are, what you do, and crucially, where you do it. Okay, well, I've been um, involved in journalism for a long time. I was a consumer journalist at Witch Magazine for many years. And now I run a reputation management company. That's what Media Coach is. I'm known as the Media Coach uh, in the business. So I I do crisis communication for lots of large organizations, particularly luxury hotels, which is a, a sector that I work in in particular. I'm also a professional speaker uh, involved with the Professional Speaking Association here in the UK. I was their president back in 2007, global president uh, in 2010, 2011. Um, so I'm pretty well known in the speaking world. And in addition to doing the crisis communication, I get involved in, in coaching speakers, in working with people, obviously online, at the moment because that's the world that we're in and essentially all, all sorts of forms of tricky communication I suppose my most recent book which I authored with a good friend of mine Paul Dutrois from South Africa called The Exceptional Speaker how to make sensational speeches I thought I'd get the plug in early so, <laughs> I, so I've done that uh, based in East London um, not East London South Africa I have to say that when I'm talking to people who are in South Africa you know where the <laughs> listeners are but East London London I'm a Londoner I'm a geezer well, it's funny you should say that. Until you mentioned that, I hadn't entirely spotted the accent. But as soon as you said East London, you went into East London mode. Well, I'm, I was born in born in Fulham, so I'm I was born in Fulham. I've lived in North London, South London, West London, East London. I'm I am a proper geezer. I'm not a Cockney because I wasn't born within the sound of Bow Bells. But I've okay. always been a Londoner. I'm a very proud Londoner. Yeah. And I'm a London guide as well. I get involved in showing people around, tourists around, when, when that comes back again. Yes. Um, I also work as a volunteer in Olympic Park, what's known as a park champion in, in Stratford, to sort of help people navigate. So I do quite a bit of volunteering, and I like to describe myself as a uh, 
professional lander and jobbing journalist. Lovely. Thank you. And you did you work from home before COVID? That, that's the question I now ask. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question, Joe. Uh, some and some. Um, a lot of what I used to do was traveling and I really miss that. I, I've, I've traveled to many, many countries all around the world. I've spoken in dozens of countries and, and that's that's the thing that really I find disappointing. The fact we can't do that anymore. So I'm obviously having to do that from home. So I would say up until now, uh, maybe a third of my work was from home. Now it's all of my work is at home. Mm. Um, and hopefully one day we'll get back to that in-person thing. But for now, everything's online. Yes. Yeah. And so you mentioned that you were um, working with Witch um, a number of yes. years ago. Um, how, how did the transition happen from, from working in a, a corporate role into working for yourself? I'm glad you asked that, Joe, because I have a story about that. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> what happened was that I was uh, at Witch Magazine, I was what's known as head of digital services, uh, which meant I looked after all of the, all of the technology and uh, new products. And we had a, a product called TaxCalc, which used to work out your income tax. It was a program that ran on the BBC Model B computer back in the day. If yeah. anybody can remember that. And what happened was we had a website. This was back in 1997, um, before the internet existed almost. Yeah. We had a website that was um, selling TaxCalc. You could go on there, click a button, buy it, and it got hacked one day. And I found out because I got a call from the Sunday Times uh, on a Saturday saying, your website's been hacked, we want a quote from you. Of course, I did the thing that I would do as, as a journalist and representative. I, I gave them a quote and they said, thanks very much, and ran the story. And then it was picked up by the Nationals, it was picked up by BBC, ITV, Sky, Channel 5 News, everything. And on Monday, uh, the Monday after the Sunday Times came out, I did 37 interviews oh on the God. same day, all about this crisis that we'd undergone. Yes. So far, so good. What happened then was a few months later, I found out that lots of PR companies were using my interviews as an example of how to manage a crisis on the media. In a good way uh, or a bad way? <laughs> in a good way, in a very good way. And I thought, hang on a minute. Yeah. I'm obviously okay at this. I should just start a company explaining to people how they can do this if they get a crisis. And that's what I did. I left, I left Witch Magazine uh, within a couple of months, wow. started my own company, Media Coach, giving crisis communication advice, and I've just taken it from there. That's amazing. So had you had training to do that yourself in the first place? Yes, I had. Yes. Um, back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, uh, I first got involved in television. Uh, I did have some media training back then from a company called Hillside, as I remember, up in, um, up in Edmonton. But it just doesn't matter. But the fact was, yes, I had about half a day's media training. Since then, I've done a lot of media work, lots of radio. I still do. Um, television. I had uh, a couple of series on Sky TV back in the 90s. So I just kind of got used to it. And if it's something that you're used to and something that you can explain very easily, then people will pay for your help, basically. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, great to hear that you sort of spotted an opportunity and, and, and went, went yeah. with it. <laughs> and it was a big risk too, because Heather that you talked about, my wife yeah. Heather that you talked about before, she'd gone um, solo, as it were. She'd left her organisation the year previously. So all of a sudden, we were there with a, with a two-year-old a mortgage to pay and neither of us being paid a living wage you know we both had to make our own way but we thought hey you know if we're going to make if we're going to make it we've got to give it a go and it, it turned out very successful for both of us yes yeah so what sort of top tips have you got sort of falling out of that for people who are in a position where they're in a corporate situation they spot an opportunity they've got a skill and people potentially could be paying for it what, what sort of reflections do you have now, I mean, you've obviously got a good few years yeah. under your belt. Soon. I, I have. Thanks for pointing that out, Joe. Um, <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> in a good way, yes. It's, uh, the experience is what I. Yes, have. yes, yes. Um, I think it's that old adage. It's it's that intersection between um, your expertise, your value, and and how people will pay you for that. You've you've you and also what you're passionate about. It's that kind of sweet spot. Mm. And if you've got that sweet spot, which which I thought I had and turned out I had then you can go for it. And I think the, the issue that a lot of people have is that they, they're very passionate about something and they think, okay, I can leave my corporate job and I can make a career of this. Passion is not enough. Uh, you've got to have more than passion. You've got to have value and, and you've got to be 
somebody who will put yourself out there as well. So I was, I've always been quite outgoing, surprisingly, as a professional speaker and occasional stand-up comic. What a shock. You know, I'm, I'm quite, quite happy to put myself out there. And I think you've got to have that combination and you've got to work hard too. Yeah. It's much harder working for yourself than working for somebody else. I mean, no, yes. no one's going to pay me to sit in my um, office here, in my home office at home, unless I go out and grab the work. So I think you've got to have a bit of sort of, sort of go-getter about you. You've mm. got to have some value and you've, you've got to enjoy what you do. And what about the whole resilience piece? I mean, it's something that many mm. of us are, are sort of facing down at the moment with everything that's going yeah. on. But, you know, as you say, two of you working for yourself with a small child, um, you know, with little experience of working for yourself at that stage, you, mm. you presumably needed a lot of resilience. Where did that come from? Uh, for me, I mean, I, I can certainly pinpoint it for me, and that it's a it's a it's a sad story and poignant, but I I still think it's important, and that is it was a result of my father dying when I was eight years old, mm. and I had effectively my mother got agoraphobia, um, she didn't leave the house for three years after after dad died. I had a little brother uh, who was uh, who was four years younger than me, five four and a half years younger than me, and basically at eight or nine years old, I had to take over running the house. Um, I'd do the cooking, I'd do the shopping, make sure the bills were paid. I, I look back now and I can barely believe it. Um, but we didn't get a lot of a lot of help. And I became very resilient very quickly. Uh, and yeah. I put a lot of my resilience and a lot of my um, confidence, I suppose, down to that early experience. It was an awful experience, obviously. Nobody wants that to happen. Mm. But looking back on it, I think I learned a lot from that. And a, a good friend of mine, Robert Black, often says that when you get in a difficult situation, there are two things to think about. What did I learn from it and what was funny? Um, so I've always, and he told me that many years ago, and I've always looked at it that way. If something's a bit tough and things will get tough from time to time, what, what did you learn from it and what was funny? Mm. It's interesting. I've did all sorts of things sort of flowing through my mind as you, as you were saying that. And then that last comment, I, I think I'd probably agree with that too. And I think for me, and I wonder if it's similar for you, it's also that piece about storytelling. So, oh yes, you know, you you can recount it, and as you say, I mean, I, I think back to some of the things that happened, you know, in my sort of formative years, and I can tell a very good story about them, and I can make it funny, even though, as you say, mm. at times a lot of it was, you know, was raw and awful and everything else. It by by the power of storytelling, you turn it into something else. I absolutely agree. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of storytelling I, I teach storytelling I, i'm a big fan of, of film and film structure and how films tell stories and it's how we pass information on and it's how people get to understand things and it doesn't mean that telling somebody a story will help them to learn something but i think when we when we relate a story we're also teaching ourselves something as well i mean those stories that i just told you i've reflected on them myself mm. and i think the very act of storytelling is self-development yeah. I think it also helps people to realise that we have a lot of commonality. There are things that we share which are important. We share far more than we differ on. And I think that's a that's the thing that I'm always banging on about when I'm talking to people. There's a lot of conflict around at the moment, uh, particularly on social media, and, and there are reasons for that that we need to go into. But I think there's so much commonality, so much that we do share, and certainly in the comedic sense, it's, it's called um, generalising the specific. And it generally starts when somebody starts a story, says, you know when, you know that time when, and then you relate a specific experience and we all go, oh, yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. And I think that that element of storytelling where we we talk about a common experience, not an identical one, but a similar one, that that's what brings people together. I mean, without being too over the top about it, it's what brings societies together. It's what brings different kinds of people together. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So just thinking about sort of where that came from and, and how your skills developed, do you think you were always headed to work for yourself? Yes, <laughs> I do. I mean, I think, you know, like, like many of us who work for ourselves, we're all unemployable now. Yeah. Um, because we put ourselves in a situation where I'm not, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm sorry. I'm, I've, I shall make my own decisions. Thank you very much. Um, yes. I mean, my, my father um, was a professional photographer um, up, up until, you know, up until he died, he worked in a dark room. We had a dark, one of our bedrooms was converted into a dark room. 
and I used to work with him in, you know, literally in a, in back in the day. People won't understand this necessarily. Back in the day, you had to go into a dark room and develop a film, and then have three dishes, develop a fixer, and develop a stop bath and fixer that you have to put photographs through. And believe me, it's the most magical experience to see a photograph develop. Yeah. To put a plain piece of paper that's been under the enlarger, and then the picture gradually appears in front of you. There's nothing like it, and that's kind of gone a bit. But you know, he but he worked on his own. Uh, he he worked for himself, and I I saw that I think as a model, and I'm pretty sure that our daughter uh, is also probably going to end up working for herself. She's working for a film company right now, but I guarantee she's going to end up freelance working for herself at some point because we've been her role models. Hopefully, yes, yeah. And I mean, in my experience, I think it seems to sort of be reflecting what you're saying. And I think my corporate sort of sojourn in the middle was mm. was partly because that's what everyone did in those days and I think the world yeah. has changed now but I also yeah. think for me it was probably security my dad died when I was 19 so no, a bit later than you but mm. um but I think you know I needed to follow the usual route because that's what was secure even though he'd had his own company and and mm. now I look back and think you know this was destined sort of thing yes. do you think that some of that was the similar thing for you it was what everyone did and, and secure to begin with sort of thing absolutely joe i mean the, the, the world was different you're absolutely right the world was a different place in many ways for all sorts of reasons but but there was an expectation that you'd have a career i mean some people would go into a job and i remember parents my friend's parents saying well they've got a nice secure job <laughs> like they, they're going to do that until they retire and i mean that filled me with dread and horror I yeah. thought, no, surely not. I mean, even even within you know, which magazine, I had about six different roles, yeah, uh, in different departments, and I I I couldn't possibly have gone on doing the same thing for the same people. And I think that that's the thing that really drove me towards working for myself, working from home, and having my own company. The fact that I wanted to make the decisions. Yes, um, I yeah. wanted to be you're free to be able to decide to take work or not take work. Mm. Um, and it's very interesting. When I, when I left Witch Magazine, I, luckily you know, they were downsizing for a while and I managed to grab a redundancy package, which a lot of us do before we, we go self-employed and before we start working for ourselves. And they, gave, <laughs> they sent me to a, an organisation which was called Redundancy Counselling or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember the, the name of the counsellor. I'm not going to relate it uh, in case she's listening. But she said to me... Um, so, so what are you going to do? And I, I told her I was setting up this media training company and, and so on. And she said, well, that's going to be a struggle. And, I said, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then she said, um, and how are you going to cope with people that you don't want to work with? And I said, well, I'm not going to work with them. <laughs> it's really simple. <laughs> if I meet somebody I don't like, I'm not going to work with them. And she said, biggest error. He said, you should, he said, you cannot afford to do that. You cannot afford to turn business away. doesn't matter whether you like them or not. You have to work with them. And I thought, phew. I'm not having that. And, you know, why should I, frankly? That's, that's why I want to work on my own. Anyway, there's a, there's a tailpiece to that because um, many years later, about five years ago, I had an email from her. She said, <laughs> she said I've, I've now gone freelance. I wonder if you've got any positions at your organisation. <laughs> or any uh, tips. And you go, yeah, don't work with people you don't like. <laughs> yeah. So I, I very politely said, no, I'm afraid not. But you know, wish her the best of luck. <laughs> so going back to the idea of you know um change, chopping and changing and I don't mean that in mm. a bad way you know I no. know exactly what you mean um and wanting to do different things and, and seeing the opportunity in your own business for, for doing that yes. how do you then balance that against that whole thing about um things changing all the time and, and you getting bored in your own business and changing your own business I mean that, that awful word I hate the word um and I'm going to say it but everyone's talking about it at the moment that whole pivot <laughs> I knew you were going to say that though. I knew you were going to say pivot uh it's a word I try and avoid but yeah so do I so do I but you know everyone's talking about that as if it's a new thing it's what I've lived my yeah. business life on <laughs> to be fair it sounds like you probably have too how do you balance that against you know needing longevity consistency and, and whatever else I, I, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what pivot means. I, I think it's more like swivel. You know, it's like a, like a sort <laughs> of gentle move on your office chair. I think I think it's more like that. So the way I see it, it's a, it's adapting your skill set, your expertise to the situation that we find ourselves in. Mm, mm. And I think the problem with people talking about pivoting sometimes is that they think, oh, I'll just go and do a new job. You know, like that crazy advertising campaign we had from the government a week or two ago where there was a picture of a ballerina and they yes. said you could be in cyber. 
Uh, infuriated me. In fact, it infuriated me to such an extent that when I was in London, uh, in the centre of town, I went to the Royal Ballet where there's a little statue of a ballerina outside, uh. outside the Royal Opera House, and I tried to interview her. And I said, please nod your head if you want to retrain in cyber. And, she, <laughs> and I, I put that up on YouTube and I got some Brilliant. real stick from it for some conservative friends, but it, I didn't care. Yeah. Because it, I think it was. It's, I think it's a bit of a nonsense. All right, one or two people can go and retrain in something completely different, and that's fine. But really, we have a core set of skills. We have expertise. We have knowledge. We have things that we've learned over the years, and we can direct them towards something else. But it, it's not a whole new thing. It's it's using the skill set that you have to fit the circumstance that you find yourselves in, mm. what other people find themselves in. So I. I I just made that up, but I think it's more of a swivel than a pivot. I think that's a blog post. I'm just, I'm just about <laughs> it's a, to write. It's a brilliant title. <laughs> I look forward to reading that. Yeah, okay. um, well, it's like, it's like that thing. Um, I know some of our mutual connections. I think um, you probably know P Penny Pullen. Um, I don't. I know Penny extremely well. I yeah. knew you would. Yeah. I knew you would. And yeah. she's also been a podcast guest and twice. <laughs> You're way oh, behind now, Alan. <laughs> You're going to have me back. I know, I know. It's, it's, it's in the stars. Um, so she posted that she'd done the government careers questionnaire oh, or yeah. something. I haven't looked at it yet. And it, she listed all the things that it said that she could do, which were just hilarious. And it reminds me, I remember doing a careers um, questionnaire at school because I had no idea what I wanted to do when I left school. Oh, there's a surprise. Um, and it said I should be a customs officer, <laughs> which I can't think of anything worse because I am too gray about everything I'm not black and white enough to be anything like that where you have to put your foot down because I can always see both sides of the story which is of no help <laughs> when you're trying to you know follow the law or whatever um you know it's weird I did that as well and when I saw that government thing come out I thought I've got to try this yes just like Penny I, I went on and did the same thing and I got football referee <laughs> chef or what was the third thing I can't remember football referee chef or oh it, it was um what was it? Ticket inspector. And I thought, how, how did you work that out? <laughs> I've no idea. How my I can cook. I'm quite a decent cook. Yeah. Uh, but there wasn't a question about cooking. No. Uh, it was all question. It was all attitudinal stuff. Um, so I was baffled. So where has that come from, and what are they trying to achieve with it? Because it just. It just is almost like we'll just randomly tell you some jobs that are possible. Well, we knew that already. We don't really need to do a questionnaire to find that out. And how is it no, I, helping I really anyone? don't know. It's, <laughs> it's a complete mystery because I, I think what's happened is that they've employed a consultant. For £7,000 um, a day, probably. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> just, like, just like those those consultants they've got. But I think what they've done, they've, they've adapted some kind of personality test from the 70s. <laughs> and what they've done is that they've got a whole load of jobs and they've kind of plugged the jobs in and where does that it's like a jigsaw and yeah. they've probably got a few jobs left over and we'll put those in there you know so that 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 so that fills up all the space so all the jobs have now got an allocation well to but be it fair means, it probably wasn't a personality test it's probably a cosmo quiz <laughs> yeah i wouldn't be surprised <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't be in the least surprised and it it is the most bizarre thing i don't know if you've tried it yourself but i mean if, if anyone's listening wants to try it, have a go it takes you about 15 minutes and you will kill yourself laughing when you see what what the government recommends you should be doing it's absolute nonsense <laughs> oh dear i don't know so tell us a bit about what your your days look like now so we've talked about um mm. you know variety and everything else i'm intrigued because i know well, those of us who yeah, like variety okay. <laughs> our days my, are my, no two days are the same, which is a lovely way to be, isn't it? My, my days are very variable. I mean, just to give you an example, today I was up at six o'clock this morning and I, I ended up doing a four and a half hour training session for some online moderators uh, in a company that makes uh, cans that put tomato paste in. And I know it's going to sound weird, <laughs> but, but they've got a conference coming up and they had some online moderators. They're lovely people. They've got, they wanted some online moderators who could work in breakout rooms, uh, they had some people who were doing presentations, their management team. So I just spent four hours, four and a half hours online this morning with those people. Uh -huh. Then I was coaching a professional speaker in Ireland. Uh, then I did uh, a little piece for a, a little bit of radio, um, sort of doing some sort of social media stuff, which, which I tend to do with talk, talk radio and uh, LBC. Uh, I've, I've done a little bit of work on a new website. I've put out a little bit of marketing and that, that's a, that's a kind of typical day. So, on most days, I'm doing a little bit of work for somebody, some coaching, perhaps. I've got an annual coaching program for, for speakers that 
that I run, but I've got about 12 people on that. And some random stuff as well. Like sometimes somebody will get in touch and say, would you like to do a podcast? And I think that is, that's me. That's what I love. So there we are. <laughs> and here we are. Here we are. <laughs> so, so my question to people like you and like me, <laughs> how do you make sure you get done the things you need to get done? Especially when, as you say, you have sort of lots of different stuff coming in from outside of, and I felt a couple of weeks ago, like I had a job again. I was doing so much for other people. Yes. <laughs> I thought, hang on a minute, this is not what I signed up for here. Let, let's, let's change things around. Let's swivel a little bit. <laughs> okay, nice. We're using that word a lot. I, I think you've got to be self-disciplined. I think there's, there's quite a lot of um, things that you can do. And just to give you a couple of examples of things that I do, I clear my inbox every day. Um, so I have nothing in my inbox when I finish the day. Mm-hmm. And I, I try to, I see it a bit like a game of tennis. So when an email comes in, I have to get it back over the net. <laughs> and then it's, it's out of my inbox. And there are several things I do with it. I can delete it if it's rubbish, which some of them are, that's spam and stuff. Um, I can respond to it and just say, thanks very much, if it's just somebody alerting me to something or letting me know something that's coming up. Or I can give them a, a response if it's somebody asking for a proposal or, or for a, a bit of advice. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm very, very... Um, focused on clearing my inbox every day. So when I when I go to bed, there's nothing. Yeah. There's, there's nothing I'm going to worry about because there's nothing in my inbox. That doesn't mean I haven't got some bigger long-term task because I have. So I, so I focus very much on that. I also give people advice because like you, people ring me for advice or send me an email and say, can I pick your brains or a bit of your time? And, you know, sometimes in the past, I used to think, oh, no, not again. And now I think, hang on a minute, I should be helping people, you know. I've had a lot of help from people in the past. I should pass that on. I should pay it forward. So I say to people, you can have 15 minutes of my time for free. After that, I'm going to charge you because my family has to eat and I've got to keep a roof over my head. So anyone can have 15 minutes. And not many people demand that. And some people will say, but I need an hour. I say, that's fine. I can send you an invoice. (laughs) When should I send it? Uh, Are you available? And quite often they will go away at that point. And I don't mean to be nasty to them. We can all get caught up in doing stuff for people. I mean, I, I do a lot of volunteering as well as doing doing stuff for, for my business. And you can only give so much. I think we, we all give something. It's important that we all give something, really important. Mm. But we have to look after ourselves and look after our families as well. And that's why I say to people, I'm, I'm limiting this. And sometimes people will ask me to do a free speech. That's a really common, it's the most common question speakers get asked. We don't, you know, we don't have a budget. Can you come and speak for free? And but they think they seem to think online speaking is cheaper for some reason. I've no idea why. <laughs> and I, my, I've got a a fantastic virtual assistant called Nicola, and um, she knows what the rule is, and that is I will do four free speeches a year, one per quarter. And when that quota is full, I don't do any more. So we say to people, I'm sorry, Alan does four free speeches a year. They're filled for this year. If you want to come back for next year, that's fine. Yeah. So you, you just set some parameters. You set some rules and guidelines around that, like the 15 minutes and the four free speeches, and that that's what people are happy. They accept that. And how did you sort of reach that as a, as a strategy? Because it, it's all about, as you say, boundaries. And, and mm. I think once you've got a rule, once you've got a boundary, it's really easy to apply it. Mm. It's, it's deciding to have one in the first place and working out what it is that I think is quite difficult for people. Can you remember yes. where that came from for you? No, <laughs> I, I made it up. I made it up. But it was really, I, I think what it was, was it was the understanding, and I didn't always have this, the understanding that I had to have boundaries. Yeah. So, you know, 10 years ago, I was doing too many free speeches for people. And there's always this, there's always the statement, it's become a cliche, well, we can't pay you, but it'll be great exposure. <laughs> mm, yeah, really? <laughs> I'll, I'll just check with my bank if I can pay in some exposure next week, because they'll love that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I learned that I had to limit it and I just thought I've got to limit it to something and I thought well why not one a quarter so again yeah. I just came up with that idea and in terms of the 15 minutes free advice again I thought what's if I if I was having a conversation with somebody maybe after a gig or or I bumped into somebody at some kind of networking event how much time would I give them and I thought you know 15 minutes that's reasonable after that I'd be looking over their shoulder and walking away if I thought this this wasn't going anywhere so, and I don't mean to be rude by that, but I think it's important that we just put a limit around it. And I tell people up front, 
even if I meet them at a networking event, um, I usually chat to people for about 15 minutes and forgive me if I walk away at that point. <laughs> it's all about clarity. It is. And they know where they stand. Somewhere <laughs> else, hopefully. <laughs> so what about that thing between sort of home and work life? You work from home. You've mm. got a, a wife who's also working from home. Yeah. Um, and you have done for a long time. How mm. have you been able to, and I don't, I hate the word, balance when it talk we talk about things like this yeah. so I think you know there isn't a balance you've got to you know go up a gear at different times for different things how do you mm. keep that working and integrated for you know what works for you and your family I mean it's a great question it really is and we haven't always got it right um and we, we have an, an office at the end of our garden that um, that was built about 20 years ago Heather uh, had it for her business to begin with and after I went solo as well, um, we moved in there together. It's a, it's a two or three person office, there's plenty of room. And <laughs> it, it drove us both mad um, because we were doing that thing, where, even though we weren't running the same business, we were listening to each other's phone conversations uh, that we were having with our own clients. And as soon as somebody put the phone down, the other one would say, you know, I don't think you should have said it that way. Or maybe you should have said this, or you forgot to mention that. And I thought, oh, for goodness sake, why are we doing this to each other? Um, and the other thing was we were together all the time. Um, and I'm not saying it kills the romance because it didn't. It wasn't that. But nevertheless, you can't be in each other's pocket all the time. It's quite useful to have, you know, time apart. And, you know, Heather, Heather values her time on her own, uh, as, as I do from time to time. It's not to say we don't love each other bits because we do. But you just it helps to have a bit of time apart. Mm. So we, we moved into separate offices. So I'm now in the house. She has the office down the garden. And we've kept it that way ever since. Also, I have a, a, a clear finishing time. So when I get to six o'clock in the evening, turn everything off. Uh, I'll generally have a bit of wind down time, maybe listen to a bit of music, maybe read something, uh, maybe watch something on Netflix or whatever. And, and then I've made that transition. And then it's evening and work is forgotten. Yeah. It's all gone. And that doesn't mean I don't occasionally do gigs in the evening, because if I'm working with a client in the States, for example, they might want me online at what, what our time is, like eight, nine o'clock at night. And yeah. I will do that occasionally. And on a Thursday, where I always write my newsletter and record my podcast or my web radio show, as I call it, I'll sometimes work late. I might sometimes work till nine on that, just because I've got my own deadline, self-imposed deadline on that. Mm. Uh, but other than that, I, I have a very clear transition. Inbox is clear. Uh, it's six o'clock. I'm done. That's it. I'm out. Yeah. And you sound quite structured in in how you make sure mm. you get things done is is that fair how do you how do you sort of make sure you do the things you need to do uh i'm actually heather would say i'm pretty disorganized and forgetful so and she's probably right well you're, you're um, telling a good story you sounded a lot more organized <laughs> well no, i know i i am i am very organized about the work i mean because yeah. i've got this journalistic mindset and it takes me back a, a long time. And this is, you're too young to remember a man called Alistair Cook, probably. No, when I say Alistair Cook to people these days, they say, oh, the cricketer. And I said, no, no. <laughs> the guy who presented Letter from America for 53 years from, from, from America and explained America to the Brits. Okay. And he was my mentor for a few years. I, I met him. Um, I was hugely impressed. And uh, he died a few years back. But for a while, I, you know, he, he helped me out and he, he gave me some advice. And I always remember one piece of advice that he gave me and it was never miss a deadline and never waste a word and you know I think about that a lot I think about that almost every day never miss a deadline I mean it's a journalistic expression obviously but I I set myself deadlines and some of them are completely self-imposed and completely random and it doesn't actually matter if I miss them but I never miss them because I've, I've set myself a deadline and therefore I will keep to it and I think that's that's the discipline I've got into with a journal, as being a journalist, of course, you can't miss a deadline. Yeah, you know, a report for the six o'clock news has to be ready for the six o'clock news. Something for tomorrow's paper has to be ready by ten o'clock at night so it can go into the paper. Mm -hmm. um, how old am I? I'm talking about newspapers. You know, what's a newspaper, Grandpa? <laughs> it's one of those things we used to get through levels. <laughs> but it, but a lot of so a lot of my deadlines are self-imposed, but I do stick to them, and yeah. I think it's it it just helps because then. When I'm free of that, you know, when it is six o'clock or, or when it's a weekend, whoop de doo I can do what I feel like, and uh, I do. Yes, yeah. And what about technology? You um, hmm. said you're sort of fairly structured. You 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 work with a, a VA, so presumably yes. there's some sort of technology connection there. Um, yep. 
what what sort of uh, and and you were the witch digital whatever <laughs> oh, yes i was head of digital services at which magazine that's quite right <laughs> and that was um, back in the day when it was new so so yeah what what technology do you like what are your well, suggestions yeah i mean if i can refer back to that i created one of the uk's first social networks uh, in 1996 we pressed the button uh, 4th of november to launch witch online which is still going and it was a social network where people could exchange information get into buying groups Learn yeah. it. We put the information online. So we didn't realize it was a social network. But in 1997, I spoke at the world's first conference on what were called online communities in those days. Yes. I yeah. didn't realize I was a social media pioneer. No. Um, and you're right. I, I think I might have been in it, actually. I used to love Witch. Yeah. Um, yes, I am. I am hmm. pretty technology focused, um, particularly in terms of what I'm doing now. I mean, I've, I'm sitting now in a, in a media, media studio at home. Yeah. Uh, I've got a sort of a radio mic on a cantilever arm. I've got um, softbox lights. I've got a, a backdrop. I've got a green screen. Um, the, the whole works, basically. Yes. So I can broadcast from here, um, uh -huh. which is what I do. And, and I've got that whole thing set up. But I also like to use technology. I'm very interested in the application of technology. And I think it, it just makes your life so much easier. In terms of how I work with, with Nicola, uh, we share access to a, a Google Calendar. Um, so that she has full access and she she will just put all of my appointments in and deal with my clients and make sure I know where I'm supposed to be and ping me an email saying by the way next Thursday you're supposed to be doing this and I just I, I trust her completely so we use technology to communicate a lot in fact we very in fact we've never met no. Nicola and I have never met she lives lives in Brighton and we'll we'll see her one day yeah um, but we've never met face to face no and yet she's absolutely vital to, to the running of my business because we communicate through technology yes yeah i was talking to somebody earlier and saying how i have a va in the philippines and i mm. was quizzing her the other day as to how long we've been working together and apparently it's six years and we've mm. never even spoken to each other mm. <laughs> so i delegate stuff by recording videos and then other than that as you say we use technology um todoist is our main one and we use asana as well but we we text in effect so we've never actually you know spoken voice to voice <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable what you can do. I mean, the, I've, I've had most books have been published by publishers, but the exceptional speaker, the one, the most recent one that we revised uh, for coming out in January next year, plug, plug, plug. And just <laughs> That's twice now, you're doing well. <laughs> there, is a, there is a reason for this, Joe, and that is that Paul and I wrote the book together. We, we wrote bits of it, but we've had it, um, we've had it typeset and proofread in South Africa, and we're actually in Namibia. Yeah, uh, we've had some design work done in Eastern Europe, and we have it printed in India, and and we've organised all of that ourselves. Yes. So we we become a little publishing house, and we've never met any of the people that have co collaborated with us on the book. Mm. Um, in, in many cases, never even spoken to them. No, uh, we've no. just we've just organised all of the work to be done through technology, and then one day a crate of books arrives on my doorstep from from China from Beijing. Yeah. And I think, okay, job done. Great. So exciting, isn't it? So yeah. let's just get the, the timings right on this because we're recording this in um, October, but this won't be going out till January. So when's the book? Well, the book's just been published. <laughs> I'm holding a copy right now. And, uh -huh. uh, oh, it's a cracking book. It really is. Um, and everybody should get a copy. It's available from Amazon right now. Um, so it's okay. called The Exceptional Speaker Revised Edition uh, with a special section on remote speaking. Ah, even more important. Lovely, yeah. thank you. So let's talk a bit about how you keep yourself healthy. You have a, oh, yeah. a wife who who walks millions of miles, <laughs> or with millions of women, or something. <laughs> she does, a million women, yeah. What do you do? <clears throat> I run. Well, I, I I use the gym as well, um, not as much as as I used to, but probably about once a week, something like that. But my main exercise is running. Mm -hmm. uh, I do a ten k run every Sunday, just on my own. I've always done that for the last forty years or so. Uh, yeah. I'm out two or three times a week running. I, I get involved in events. Um, I volunteer at running events. I was working at the London Marathon only a couple of weeks ago, actually. Uh, I know there weren't any spectators, but I was part of the organising team. Yeah. So I was, I was there at, the, uh, at St. James's Park. Uh -huh. People were running in a circle, basically, yeah. uh, on Sunday. So, I'm, so running is my, is my sport, my sport of passion, passion of yeah. sport, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And um, I've, I've always done it. It's sometimes quite hard to get out when it's cold and rainy on a winter's morning, but I feel so much better for it. it clears my head, makes me feel great. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I keep, I keep pretty fit. And even though I'm now of a certain age, 
that uh, that the state uh, deems itself uh, appropriate to send me money uh, once every four weeks. Uh, nonetheless, I'm still out and running uh, sub one hour 10Ks and uh, I'll yeah. keep doing that as long as I possibly can. Yeah, sounds brilliant. So what about developing learning and so on? Um, like we've said, you were sort of fairly pioneering um, back in the day. It doesn't sound mm. like you've changed any no. now. <laughs> How do you keep up with what's going on? How do you keep learning? I think that's vital. I think the, the one thing that I would say to anybody is that you've got to keep learning. I mean, I, I've been doing this job a long time. I've, I've been involved in speaking and communication phrases, but I learn something every day. And I think you should. And, and another very useful mantra, and this, this didn't come from Alistair Cook, this, this came from a chap called Elliot Erwitt, who is a great photographer from the Magnum Photography Agency. Uh, his, his mantra was, you should learn something every day and you should teach somebody something every day. Um, so, and I've always thought that was a lovely thing to do, uh, mm-hmm. to learn and to teach. Uh, any, it could be something very small, but it doesn't matter. So what I do, I put out uh, regular videos to people. I pop them online. I do a, a newsletter. I do a radio show. And I'm always trying to put something out every day, which I think is helpful to somebody else. And I'm going to look into something. I'm going to learn something. Um, for a couple of years, I've been involved in something or a member of something called Masterclass. Uh, it's a, a US website based in California where they have experts doing online courses. For example, Steve Martin teaches comedy. Yes. Carlos Santana that. teaches guitar. Um, uh-huh. And there's, there's Carl Rove teaches politics. It's brilliant. And I've gone through loads of courses. Um, and I absolutely love it. And I, I, every day I'm doing a unit or two from there. They've got, they've got actually Gordon Ramsay teaches cookery. And he's yeah. taught me a, a really great way to poach eggs in red wine. Which is Ooh, uh, which is really very very pleasant. I have to tell you. Yeah. Um, Do you have that for breakfast? <laughs> no, well, not the wine. No, the wine's a bit of a special occasion because you have to poach the eggs in the wine, so you have to kind of give up the wine to the eggs. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always struggle without using wine in the cooking thing. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful about that. But, but the point, the point of all yeah. that is, you're it's it's stimulating. I think you've got to keep yeah. stimulating your brain. You've got to keep learning. Yeah. And the other thing that I do is I like to be challenged. So when I go online, I realize that there are, there are bubbles on social media and there are echo chambers and those sorts of things. And I seek out places where I disagree with people. Mm. Um, I'm a member of a, a Facebook group uh, where almost all of the people disagree with me politically. Uh, it's, a, it's a London-based group. Um, I'm, I'm not going to give you the name of the group, but I'm right. going to say a lot of the people in there are cockneys. <laughs> and they have certain opinions which are not mine. Yeah. And I'm in there debating with them probably in the evening. That's one of the things I might do in the evening. I might spend half an hour in there having a political debate. Yeah. They all know me. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm a liberal. I was a liberal councillor um, back in the 80s. I was elected yeah. deputy leader of St Albans Council back in the day. Um, so I, I've got a political background. I'm still of that um, opinion, of that mind. But that doesn't matter because I think it's important that you – are able to debate political opinions with anybody, uh-huh. you know, whether they're far right or far left or centrist or what. It doesn't matter. I want to know what they think, and I want I want to share opinions, and I want to I want to talk to them because I think that the biggest danger we have at the moment is is that kind of groupthink, yeah. where people get together and they think everybody agrees with them because you've seen the social dilemma. I'm guessing the wonderful film that came out. Recently. I haven't yet. I keep thinking oh, I must it's, watch it's it. A great watch. Yeah. Two great watches on Netflix that I've had in the last couple of weeks, the David Attenborough uh, yes. new film, which is brilliant, and The Social Dilemma. Yeah. So, and The Social Dilemma, of course, is about the fact that we're fed what we like yes. by social networks. And I think we have to find a way to break through that. Yeah, It's yeah. really important that we engage with people that we don't agree with in order okay. that we just have a proper and robust and respectful debate. Yes. I'll tell you, actually, when I realised the bubble thing um, so sort of obviously, it was Mm -hmm. the um, Brexit vote Mm. and when Trump came in, um, because both of those things, I was so surprised as to what I'd seen and what happened. Mm. (laughs) And I then realised, obviously, that, as you've said, I I was pretty much seeing other people like me rather than the diversity of, of opinion sort of thing. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting revelation, Joe. And the thing is, in this group, this Facebook group that I'm in, almost everyone is, to a man and woman, are astonished that anybody should have voted to stay in the European Union. 
Yeah. <laughs> There's probably, and of, of a thousand people in that group, there were probably six of us yes. that voted to remain. Yeah. And yeah. and the philosophy in there is, how can you be so stupid? Yeah. What are you thinking? <laughs> well, I had the same thing in Kent, because in our yeah. area, most people apparently voted to leave. I went into the local shop at four mm. o'clock in the afternoon to find I was the first person to go in that had actually wanted to stay. <laughs> and I was gobsmacked because it wasn't even my social media friends it was like all the people in my community <laughs> and it's, it's it's a it's a great revelation to have really yeah. That, yeah. That, that that's a, and i think i think we are we don't want to get into politics you know the whole no. the whole nation is split up and i think that that really that's one of the things i find most disappointing that we that we have these polarized opinions which is being fed by social media and we really need to break out of it Yes, we're yeah. not. We're not going to do it, whether we agree with something or not. It's the situation, yeah. and therefore we we need we need to work with whatever the, the circumstance is. Even this this awful pandemic that we find ourselves in at the moment, it's no good moaning about the fact that it was caused by five G masks or you know we shouldn't wear masks. You've got to go with it. Yeah, yeah? go with it. You know, with, even whether you accept the origin theory of it or not, doesn't matter. The thing is, how can we best get on? How can we how can we live our lives as safely as possible and how can we help other people? That's, yeah. that's what it should be about. And as you say, that whole thing about just being able to encourage debate, I, you know, yeah. in my circle, there's a few people who don't like conflict and mm. will shut down a conversation and walk away yes. um, immediately. Anything starts even getting vaguely argumentative or controversial or, or whatever. And it's, it's interesting because like I said to you at the beginning, I'm quite, I always feel quite gray because I always sort of look on all sides of a, debate so I'm actually a bit rubbish when it comes to taking a position because <laughs> I can be swayed <laughs> um which I don't think is a bad thing but um, I don't think that's a bad thing at all uh, Joe. I praise you for that I think you know and I, I, I've been swayed in opinions and I, I, I've shifted and then somebody's come to me what happened there you were supposed to think this and I said well don't, I don't now <laughs> no because then I thought about that and then I heard this and then it made me think you know yeah. um so so I, I like the idea of having those sorts of conversations my daughter's the same we were laughing at the dinner table the other day that uh, granny kept saying you're not going to change my my mind but blah 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 and then went on and then ellie like, was like getting louder and louder and um yeah. it was really funny and, and granny kept going i think you need to join a debating club <laughs> and uh it was it was really it was good i loved it it was loud yeah. and it was you know challenging but i loved it because we don't always have those debates because um I, I, granny generally wouldn't want to have those but because it's her granddaughter um she's encouraged to do it because you know there's that relationship between them and I think it is a good thing as you've just said and the fact mm. that you know Ellie's growing up wanting to and having an opportunity to I think is a really a really yeah, good thing. I, I think so and I, I think the other thing about all this and I don't want to get too philosophical about it I don't want to get off topic of your show but I, I, it's it's the fact that it shouldn't define us you know uh -huh. an opinion that we have doesn't define our whole being yeah. You know, whether or not we voted to stay in the European Union or leave the European Union, whether we like Trump or whether we don't, that's not our entire being. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's the issue, that people are looking at somebody and saying, well, you're a one of those. Yeah. And all of a sudden they think that defines it. And it doesn't. It's a tiny part of our personality. Yeah. And that's what I come back to what I was saying earlier on, that we have so much more in common than, than, than we have yeah. that divides us. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. we have loads of things in common. Mm. And those are the things that we should focus on. I think those are the things that we should celebrate. And yeah. unfortunately, we tend to focus on the ten percent of things that we have that don't uh, we don't agree no, about. No, exactly. So just before we move into the last couple of questions that I ask everybody, mm. what are your thoughts about how things are currently for people in, um, you know, coaching and and training and and in business at the moment? You know, some people have you know really sort of blossomed they've had opportunity to spend time doing things that they wouldn't have done before and their businesses seem to be flying and other people obviously the opposite has happened um what, what's your thoughts about how things are currently and moving forward i think things are tough i mean there's there's no two ways about it things are tough and there are several reasons for that one is that people don't have so much disposable income you know they're worried about paying the bills and therefore they're not so likely to invest in self-development and uh -huh. therefore i think it's it's tough to get clients but on the other hand, I think there's an attitudinal thing. I think with a lot of people, it's how, how do you approach something? And it may be that your traditional client base, your traditional coaches are no longer able or willing to pay for your services, but there'll be a lot of other people who will. Yeah. And I think what one thing that this um, experience has taught us, this 
this pandemic is that all of a sudden we're, we're online, that we're global. You know, when we're not just people who can work with people in our locality, we can work with anybody anywhere, frankly. Mm-hmm. And there are so many people that, that need the help of, of coaches and mentors and, and people who can work with them. So my, my feeling is that there are more opportunities than there have ever been, but that people have to do a little bit of work. You know, they've yeah. got to be prepared to, to go and look and they go and talk to people and maybe do a little bit of stuff for free and maybe offer people something. But I think people should be looking as widely as possible to say, here's my skill set. Here's what I can coach people on. Here's what I'm good at. So I, I think I think there are great opportunities, but times are tough. If those two things can coexist, and I think they can, and I think they do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. Thank you. So last couple of questions. Then. Firstly, what about on those days where it all goes horribly wrong? How do you deal with those? Uh, I, I talked about that earlier on. I think, what did I learn and what was funny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There is always, I mean, I love to find the humour in things. That's why yeah. I get involved in stand-up comedy and organising comedy nights and so on. There is, there's you know, at some, you know, obviously something's happening, you just grind your teeth. Ah, that is horrible. And sometimes it is. But there's always something. There's always something you can do. And if if I've got something, you know, particularly awkward or tough, maybe I've lost a couple of clients or something, I think, oh, oh, well, there you go. I'll go and listen to my favourite piece of music. I'll get, to, I'll go to YouTube, type in Jackson Brown, which is my favourite musician, and I'll sit back and I'll think, oh, I'll have a nice cup of tea. And probably yeah. a Kit Kat as well. And uh, I'll just... Got to have the Kit Kat. Um, although increasingly, I've got into raisin and biscuit Yorkies, and I think I need to, I need to be careful there. Um, but Kit Kats work fine. So I, I think you know, you, we're all going to have bad days. And sometimes you just need to let it go and, and wallow in it for a bit, but you've got to snap out of it fairly soon, and there are ways to do that. Mm, lovely, thank you. I was thinking recently I might get at the transcript of all my 180-odd podcasts and get this that question you've just answered oh, and be- create an ebook of some description out of it, and Wouldn't there'll be a mention of Kit Kats in it now. That'd be great. I'll buy it. It's great. <laughs> And the last one is, what about those days where you get to live more? And that's where I say you get to do more of the things that you want to do and less of the stuff that you don't want to do. What do those days look like for you? Uh, well, those those are going to be days that, that Heather and I go off somewhere. And in the, in back in the day, it, we'd be traveling. We'd be going abroad somewhere. Uh, we'd be on a beach in Crete uh, or we'd be in a little little restaurant somewhere in some, you know, in Spain. We've got a favorite place in Spain that we go um, called Calella de Palafrugel, uh, where we where we love to go, and and that that for me, you know, a perfect day, you know, where you get up, lazy breakfast, swim in the pool, sit on the beach, that's great. But here, um, I mean, we've, we've got a a hotel in Brighton that it was a kind of funky hotel that we're going to go and spend the night in, hopefully fairly soon, and then head off to a restaurant called Sixty Four Degrees, where they have the most wonderful tasting menu, and that that for me other than spending time with our daughter who is of course very important if she ever listens to this and we love her to bits too but the perfect day is is for heather and i just to leave work behind go away chill out and have some nice food and adult beverage that sounds lovely to me thank you so much alan it's been great talking to you it's been great tell people how they can find out more about you and get in touch Okay, well, they can find me if they look up Media Coach or The Media Coach on Google, they'll find me and they can go to mediacoach.co.uk and that's where I'll be. Lovely. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure. All this information is available in the show notes. If you go to powertolivemore.com forward slash, in this case, 192, then you'll find them there. And this week, I want to talk about mental resilience. We talked about mental resilience at the Gold Calm Call on Monday and I had a few uh, tips that came up uh, shared by some of our members and also some of the information that I shared as well. I just want to share that with you today. We were talking about how, you know, we're in the obviously the midst of the pandemic still. We're locked down in the UK and uh, to varying levels, people are, uh, you know, finding it difficult, struggling because it just feels a bit like Groundhog Day and a lot of people are uh, dealing with working whilst also homeschooling as well. So it's a time, I think, where mental resilience and building that resilience is really important. And one of our members talked about how resilience is really that sort of bounce back ability. So creating that situation where you're able to 
sort of weather the storm, I guess, she said, as there's a big storm outside the window as I record this, uh, so that, you know, you, your mind is strong enough to sort of carry you through. So some of the things that we talked about was uh, having a gratitude practice. It's something that I've done for quite a, a time at varying degrees of um sort of activity I did uh, spend a good sort of 18 months writing down into an app every day things that I was grateful for during the pandemic I've been particularly aware of being grateful and thinking about the things that I have gratitude for and I was giving somebody some advice the other day and saying that one of my future podcast guests actually talks about how she's written five things that she's grateful for every day since the pandemic started and really credits that with really helping to get her through that so gratitude is something that's um, really important and, and worth thinking about and that led into a conversation about journaling it's something that a friend of mine uh, does a lot when she's stuck when she's um, struggling or just needs to think things through she writes and writes and writes it's not something that I do or that particularly appeals to me but I know how powerful it can be I think I sort of do what that journaling stuff is all about but in my head I don't physically write it down so journaling might be something that's of interest to you and if you haven't already seen it I've got 30 days of inspiration around journaling which uh, you might be interested in uh, having a look at if you go to powertolivemore.com forward slash journaling and that's with two l's then you'll be able to sign up to get those daily emails with the link to the blog to give you some inspiration around the different types of journaling and how you can do that and there's even some journaling prompts in there so questions that you can uh, use to sort of challenge yourself in there and when I say that I don't journal by physically writing things down but I think I sort of do that in my head one of the things that I have done increasingly over the last few years is think about the concept of slow thinking and there's going to be 30 days of inspiration around slow thinking coming out on my blog from the 1st of February and if you're interested in finding out more about that and signing up you can go to powertolivemore.com forward slash slow thinking. What I term slow thinking is that that bit about sort of slowing down obviously and not jumping in and doing things when you get ideas not just getting on and doing them which is what I might have done in the past but actually not doing them yet not taking that action but just letting those ideas percolate thinking about them a bit more carefully and then deciding whether to move forwards and I've really got into it recently because in the past I did go and implement things and then thought oh that wasn't what I wanted to do and sort of half did things and then stopped and changed tack and all that sort of thing and actually in recent years I've realized that if I leave things to sort of as I say percolate and I can keep thinking about them and sort of testing them out in my head and thinking about the implications and all that sort of thing then often I come up with a different solution in the end or sometimes the world changes or people around me or things around me change opportunities come up and I then realize that whatever it was I was planning to do isn't now the appropriate thing um, after all so slow thinking is something to think about and as I say if you go to powertolivemore.com forward slash slow thinking you can sign up to either uh, wait to get that inspiration from the 1st of February or if you go to that link and it's after the 1st of February then you'll just be able to get immediate access to that one of our members on Monday also talked about the concept of self-parenting she said that when she's feeling down or if things aren't going so well she sort of sits back and talks to herself as if she was her parent <laughs> and you know helps herself to think about things in a slightly different way and move through whatever that particular issue is so I thought that was an interesting one as well. The last thing I just want to say about this is that I'm currently going through all the podcasts that I've recorded this is uh, up to nearly 200 as you know and I'm getting my VA to pull out all of the last two questions that I ask everybody the one about what do you do when it all goes horribly wrong and what do you do on a day where you've got to live more and it's interesting some of the themes that are coming out from the days when things go horribly wrong include things like exercise uh, going walking going out in the countryside I talk about going to sing some people have a bath others have said it's gin or wine <laughs> 
can go along with that. Um, and, you know, the, there's all sorts of different ways that people find to help them when they're getting stressed, when they're feeling a bit overwhelmed. And, you know, the sorts of things that they can do to help them feel better and more relaxed and, I guess, more mentally resilient. And I think the key part of that, given the um, varied answers that I get to that question is that for each of us it's about finding the thing that works for us so if it's a bath or if it's singing or if it's meditation or if it's um, talking to your best friend or, or whatever getting really clear that that's what it is and building more of those things in or certainly knowing that those are the things that you can do when things are going wrong or you're not feeling great um, but you know I think the the the, the best way to deal with it uh, is actually to do more of those things before it gets so bad that you've desperately got to do them. So, you know, how can you build in those self-care, resilience type routines and rituals to keep you strong and sort of preempt those issues? So I hope you found that helpful. Again, the show notes for this week's show are at powertolivemore.com forward slash 192. And we look forward to speaking to you next week. Use your power to live more.